This is Inside the Wolf's Den, an entrepreneurial journey with Sean and Joni Wolfswinkle. Welcome back to Inside the Wolf's Den with your hosts, Sean and Joni Wolfswinkle. Today we have a guest with us, Eric Latshaw. How are you, Eric? I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. Well, glad to have you on the show today. So just a quick bio on Eric. So Eric is the president and founder of Honest Home Solutions, LLC. He takes pride in being a student of the game we call real estate investment. He is invested in understanding the market and continues to grow his extensive knowledge of real estate acquisitions, wholesale innovations, renovating, marketing, and dispositions of these properties. He has been fully submerged in real estate for a little less than a decade and has been involved in the marketing, purchasing, and or selling over 1,500 transactions. Eric, again, thanks for joining us today. Why don't you give us a little background on yourself? How did you get started in real estate? Sure. Um, I actually got started in real estate uh, almost 10 years ago now, and I started as a buyer's agent um, and was really leaving the restaurant industry. I'd had my second kid and nights, weekends and holidays were um, just extremely painful. Mm -hmm. And I thought that real estate would be a little different. It was not. Um, But (laughs) I started as a buyer's agent, uh, moved in to after a couple of years as a buyer's agent, moved into being an acquisitions agent for another company. Um, And then not long after that, about three years after that, went in and opened my own company uh, in real estate investment. Wow, that's great. So I know that it's, um, you worked for a company for a little while. Like, when did you make that decision? And how did you make that decision to say, okay, now it's time to kind of move on my own? Sure. I mean, I think that's probably a hard decision at any time because I was doing really well as an acquisitions agent. Um, I was making a, a really good amount of money too. Mm-hmm. And, and there was just some some different things as, as you start to look at what your career looks like and what your future looks like. Um, I was very committed in that position. I, I worked incredibly long hours and um, sometimes, you know, just nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, missed some important things in my in my family's lives and my kids' lives. Um, and at some point for me, it was a time to money type of situation. Was the money more important? Could I continue to go and work at this rate forever? Mm-hmm. Um, or did I need to make a decision where I could work incredibly hard, probably you know, even more hard than what I was working then, but to build something where I could get back some of my time so that I could uh, do some of the things that I do now, such as, you know, coaching my kids and being involved um, in a lot of different stuff. So, you know, for me, it was a, a tough decision. Yeah. Um, I was really happy where I, I was at. We were doing well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, the way it lined up for both um, the company that I worked for and for myself, we both became better in, in, in the split. Mm-hmm. So it, it was, it was a tough, tough setup um, and very challenging when it first started, but it was a, how do I buy back some of my time um, in the long run and the commitment that it would take to do that. Right. But it was, you know, that's always a tough decision when you, when you're in a position where you're doing well, but you have to make a 
decision of, okay, I'm going to take three steps back to take 10 steps forward, mm-hmm. or do I want to just continue on, on this path where I didn't really know if there was growth potential um, based on the way things were aligned at that time and what what that setup was going to look like in the long run. So um, for me, it was it was a, a tough decision with two little kids, but yeah. it was you know, has, has paid off in the long run. Yeah. Sounds like it was the right decision, but it, uh, I, I also, cause we get a lot of people that, you know, especially younger, uh, either entrepreneurs or people that are thinking about it. But, um, did you, I think you working for somebody or in an industry or for a company that you, where you eventually want mm-hmm. to go off on your own, I don't know if that was your vision from the get go, but I mean, do you recommend like to other people or other students or people that, hey, go probably go work for somebody that in an industry or in a niche that you want to learn and go work for somebody first and learn everything before you'd really try to go off on your own and figure it all out? Would you do you recommend that path being that that's what you did? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's extremely important to have a solid understanding of what is asked of you and what is going on in that industry. Um, I had, you know, honestly wouldn't be where I'm at without the work ethic that I learned in that Mm -hmm. position. Um, Also some of the demands of real estate and really understanding how to move. I I had an incredible um, boss at that time that really, gave me an opportunity that was something that I, I was able to run with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then as I became, you know, very good at that position, empowered me to make a lot of decisions. Um, so there was, you know, a lot to be learned and the good and the bad mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In, in both sides of it. So when you, when that's the route you take, it gives you a, a good vision of, of things that you want to do maybe some things you don't want to do um, and let you understand really the whole business. Um, if you're deep enough in it to, to be able to grasp what's going on from the beginning of, of the transaction to the end of the transaction mm-hmm. in, in probably any business that you're in. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what it would be like, as a, as a doctor or lawyer or something like that, but in something that would involve sales and, and transactional stuff, I would say there is a, a very good learning experience to get the work ethic um, and really understand the ins and outs of the business before you go out on your own. Yeah. Um, if, if that's the route that you take. Yeah. yeah, totally. I can see that. I mean, I, we talk about this all the time on our show, right? I mean, if you really want to, Good, like you said, good and bad, right? You you may not know what all the details are, and you might get in, and you might absolutely hate it, but um, or you might say, yeah, this is what I want to do. But I think that yeah, working for somebody is there. Know, is, yeah, is, is, I'm just curious. Is there anything when you went off on your own and started building your own company? Was there anything that you maybe uh, weren't didn't know at the before you left? Like yes, like <laughs> like learning lessons that you still even though you worked for a company, you you got pretty. I'm sure there were tons. Yeah, but like a good experience, good knowledge, good understanding. But like once you finally go off your own, what were some of the big, because I think we've had several employees that, you know, we've trained, developed, 
worked with over the years and they go out and start their own business and their own venture. And, and, and I think in the, it's hard for us to have them leave, but at the same time, isn't that what the purpose of yeah, what we're spending all this absolutely. time, you know, educating and developing our team? Because, and there's always that risk, but I'd rather, I'd rather develop my people and, and grow them and have them take our companies to new heights. But yes, there's that risk that they're going to leave and go on their own. But um, I guess, is there like takeaways you had once you went mm -hmm. on your own? You're like, wow, I didn't, I didn't really realize this, or maybe you did. Maybe it just opened your eyes to being on the other side of the spectrum rather as an, as a boss or as a, the owner versus yeah. Boss. Yeah. Uh, so many things I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when you're, when you're working for someone, there is a lot of things that you think you might understand until you're actually on that side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the stresses and overhead and, and you, you know that there's costs there, but you don't, have don't to feel really that pain. <laughs> Yeah. You don't comprehend them until they're, they're your, they're mm -hmm. your struggles. Um, they're your costs. They're your stresses because no matter what, when you're working for somebody, unless that business is going under, you're getting a paycheck. Right. If you're buying houses and, it, you know, but you're not looking, it's not always, it's just a totally different way of looking at things. When you're working for someone and I, I you know, deal with it with employees now and um, I try to give my employees as much opportunity to grow within the business so that, you know, as a leader, if we're building leaders that, you know, you don't want them to lead, but leave but at the end of the day if they do you know you you can wish them success and if they if they stay you want to give them opportunities to lead others within the business and grow so that you they have potential to get there mm -hmm. but i would say you know the the biggest thing that i i didn't know is is probably some of this just the the overall understanding that you are the responsibility that goes along with everyone that you are employing mm -hmm. and that you are taking care of them, their families, their kids, like the, all, all that stuff, you know, health insurance, 401ks, um, all the stuff that comes out on your overhead and, and that you, you have to do um, by providing vehicles, gas, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, there is so much of a responsibility to them for you guys to be successful and it's it you almost have to remove yourself out of it mm -hmm. and when you're an employee most of the time it is about especially in a sales position a revenue generating position in a company uh, it's about you're, you're focused on you mm -hmm. you're focused on the money that you're making because you don't have those other responsibilities mm -hmm. um, and as an employer you're focused on the stresses of making sure that the culture is right. Your people are happy mm -hmm. managing people direct, you know, differently based on personalities and understanding how to communicate with different people. Uh, there's, there's just things that I've learned through leader over the years in, in leadership or running a business that um, I, I really didn't, I didn't grasp. Now, granted um, I, my father owned his own law firm for 20 some years before I went into business. So um, me and him are much different. He's a, I'm a very risk to reward individual. He's a very detail oriented individual, which you'd expect as a, as, as an attorney. So there was some things that 
you know, he had dealt with over the years that when I was, I was going to make this decision that he brought to my attention um, that I might not have thought about because I was just gung ho, ready to go. Um, and he made me sit back and, and look at some of the pieces of the puzzle before they, you know, were put together. Well, yeah, that was well said. And yeah, it, uh, it is a different person. You don't it, maybe you might have an idea or you think, but you don't really well, truly grasp it as a right. the best way. Yeah, and I think uh, you made a point there about you know managing and leading people. That's that's another whole different like ball game that you probably didn't realize as well, right? Because like, same with us, like we started our real estate career when we were nineteen years old, and we never really worked in a corporate, you know, environment. And so leading and managing people for us was like, Oh my gosh, like, right. And so I'm sure it was for you as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so what are some things that maybe that you do, you know, to help, you know, grow yourself personally so you can help your, your team and and lead them? Sure. Um, you know, one of my biggest things was to continue to learn how to lead. Um, and to make sure that when I look and learn from other people that I'm first of all, learning from people that are doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. Cause there's, you know, there's a million people nowadays that, um, or coaching or talking or sharing about whatever that honestly might not be the way that Mm -hmm. you want to run your business or run the culture of your, your company. Um, but more importantly is that you can never stop learning. You, I chat all the time with people from my mastermind and um, different individuals that I look up to that have things that about them or the way that they lead or, or employees that have told mm-hmm. me how great these people are uh, that have just been a focus. So never stop learning is, is the honestly, the most important thing to me. I have a few uh, books that I, I could tell you that mm-hmm. have meant, you know, a lot to me in the, in the sense of, you know, atomic habits and, and different things one. like that yeah. to, to really focus on, on some things that help you be a better leader. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing I would say, you know, that I, I learned is that a lot of leaders become a bottleneck of their company mm-hmm. um, because they want to control final decisions. Um, and I think that it's natural for someone to, mm-hmm. to do that. And what happens is people lose interest or lose confidence in themselves because you're, they're, they're actually making, you're, they're not making the decisions you are. Um, and if you're hiring the right people and putting the right people in the right place and training correctly and communicating correctly, you want to be able to empower those people to make those decisions and even empower them to make mistakes. Right. Um, and then be able to, you know, grow in that grow as that, as that happens, because as I grow and make mistakes, uh, I need to be able to own them to my team. Mm-hmm. Owning mistakes and being vulnerable to to your team, I believe, is one of the best things that you can show um, because that you're not perfect, and it gives them the ability to fail as well. And in that, you know, in failure, there's the most growth that you can find, and and people learn the most at those times. Yeah, love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, in your bio that Johnny read, you it, you had mentioned you're grading up to 150 transactions per year which is a lot and it's a a decent sized company and business. And so um, what are some of the key things that you did along that, you know, the last five 
whatever, 10 years that really got you to that level of volume of transactions? Uh, is it focusing on marketing, your sales people? Like, what are some of the key attributes that, that helped you build that company that size? Um, you know, honestly, it, one of the biggest things I would say is making sure that we were capable of finding a deal in any situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, a lot of individuals that have niches, um, without a doubt. And, and I do think there's a, a, a part about staying in your lane that is very important or you're getting right. crash and burn quickly. Um, but being able to provide the most amount of solutions for every seller that we deal with, even if it comes to, you know, a, a retail transaction that it doesn't make any sense as an investor, but you have an agent that's able to turn that into a retail mm-hmm. understanding how to understanding how to do a short sale and putting yourself in that position, understanding what a wholesale looks like, understanding how to do innovation, you know, subject to whatever, whatever it would be is having enough tools in the tool belt to generate income and ROI off of what you're spending. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side of that would be, don't be scared to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was one of the scariest things as, as we grew, um, we weren't sitting with a lot of capital when we first started. So mm-hmm. we had to figure out different ways to monetize social media, you know, those types of things that weren't costly. And then as we grew our company, we needed to make sure that there was an ROI on what we did. So, you know, I, I literally had a training this morning about from lead intake to appointment scheduled um, just with some, some of my guys and tried to explain it. Like every lead costs money. Mm -hmm. So everything that we get, like you, no matter what, there's a cost that's associated with that either skip trace lead or whatever it may be um, the data that we're pulling in and making sure that if we have all these options, that even if someone calls in and they want retail, we need to be able to tr- turn that into, that's not something we want to turn away because even if it's minimal income, it's some type of ROI on what we're spending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that became how we got to a point where we could do that many transactions was because we are focused on making sure that if they want to sell a house <laughs> and that there's, or sell a property of any type that we have a solution and an option um, that we can provide for them. And all we need to do is talk through it and get to it. Mm -hmm. How how do you, uh, uh, the the struggle I think we had over the years is how do you, your sales team, I I agree with you hundred percent. How do you get your sales guys to, is it like, how do you train them up to be able to see those different solutions Mm -hmm. or know how to, offer them and like pivot, you know, uh, yes, I think it's difficult. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Uh, it is, it is a very difficult mindset because they are always looking at it as, you know, Hey, if I acquire this property as a wholesaler, we acquire this property as a flip. This is where they make obviously the most money, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and innovation wholesale, because that's where, and, when you're talking about it as an employee, when going back to what we talked about earlier, they they have by nature, you know, 
and I did too, by nature, a thought process of how can I make the most money? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's hard to have somebody have the, con- teach somebody to have the concept of I, I'm doing, I'm transitioning to this and I'm kicking this to our agent, even though I make limited income on it. And, but it's best for the company. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really hard transition unless you're, you own the company right. uh, because they're looking at it. Well, you know, maybe if I put it in my follow-up and mark it as, you know, warm, I'm going to keep communicating with these people. Cause I, I think there might be something there when there might never be anything there and they want to sell now, but they're going to end up talking to somebody else. They're going to put it on the market and then it's going to be no income, but that acquisitions agent might not have cared. Um, so I think it's, it's really important when we're going through that training and we're talking about different ways to really focus on, on, how it affects the company, let them let like really give them true insight on dollars and cents and what that looks like. You know, we spend $85,000 a month on marketing. So like for when you're walk, talking about those types of numbers, like they need to understand that in, in the long run, this is how we continue to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to pour into you as much as possible when there's a deal that might not this. Now this is what that, and then you, walk over what that transition looks like from option to option to option mm-hmm. to option and how to have that conversation. Uh, and a lot of that is just being open and honest that maybe a cash deal might not be the best and really putting a lot of those options on the table at the same time, mm-hmm. based on the communication and conversation that you had with that individual um, over the time period that you're spending with them. So, I mean, it's still tricky, some people don't, you know, it takes a little bit of time to be confident in what you're saying when you're talking about so many options. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the biggest struggles. But when someone is close, uh, we'll bring in, you know, either a seasoned acquisitions agent or myself to be able to uh, really dive deep into some of those questions. And, and hopefully it works. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always a yeah. it's a struggle. And I think it comes down to a really good sales manager. Right. But, uh, Which and I was going to ask yeah. you about that. So, you know, now that we're talking about uh, sales, like how often do you meet with your sales guys? And right. And like what maybe what are some things that you go over with them and maybe even sales training that you can recommend? Because there's a lot of our listeners that are listening that, you know, are, are going through the same thing. <laughs> um, you know, I would I would totally agree. And it's always a conversation that mm-hmm. comes up. Uh, even at masterminds, I mean, people are running great companies and struggle in this situation. So, uh, you know, I really, I have a, a monthly sales training with my team, but I, I, I mean, we have a, a team of 11 in the office. So my, my main, my head acquisitions agent, um, who is more, I mean, he's a great acquisitions agent, uh, and a lot of the stuff I'm working with him is on leadership stuff, like how to bring people in. Um, sorry, I don't know what that was. Um, how to bring people in and train them um, and and really lead them. Mm-hmm. But for, you know, bringing in that right person for sales. Oh, my goodness, what is going on? Sorry, I, I don't know how my iPad keeps going off, but I apologize. Just cut it out. Brett, you want to just cut it? Yeah, let's. uh, So uh, I'm at 2030, 2330, Dan, and then we're going to come back in 
And, and we don't hear anything there, Eric. So there's nothing. Uh, we don't hear anything on our end. So uh, if it's distracting to you, it's only to you. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, then I would. I I thought it took me off the screen because my no. screen. No, no, no. I'll just talk through yeah, that. I I'll, apologize. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it if uh, if we lose you. All right, going back in at 24, we're at 24, 22. Uh, we'll do you want to re-ask a question? Um, yeah, uh, he answered part of it, though. So. Yes, he was starting yeah. to answer uh, about his acquisitions agent and training and, and uh, teaching training. him and leadership skills. Yeah. Okay. Can you, right. can you pick it up for there? You'll lead him in? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Here we go. So we're at 24, 42. We'll go in at 24, 50 in three, two, one, action jokes. Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about like how you, with your sales training, you know, how often do you meet with your sales guys? Uh, maybe some things that you go over with them. I know a lot of our listeners, that's one thing that they struggle with is a sales aspect of it, right? So maybe you can help us there. Yep, sure. So, you know, a lot of those situations for me are just based on making sure that my sales team understands what's going on in our sales department and um, how we can operate on transactions. I have one main acquisitions agent um, that I'm trying to turn into a true sales manager with leadership and spending time with those people. And so as we bring on more acquisitions agents, we have an acquisition agent in training right now um, and another one hopefully joining the team here shortly. Um, but to make sure that he can kind of fill in where I felt it. Mm -hmm. filled in when I brought him on. Um, you know, we have one set, at least one sales training a month. I try to have them on the acquisitions calls with my mastermind um, that happens once a month as well. And then, you know, a lot of role play goes into mm. it. And then also um, for me, it's one of, one of the biggest things is continuously if you are a sales guy, so not everybody that runs a company is a sales guy. Mm -hmm. I am a, I, that's where I learned. That's, that's what I did. And that's what I focus on uh, is acquisitions. I don't think you can really have a company without being able to acquire right. <laughs> property. <laughs> so, uh, you know, part of that would be, I diagnose deals with them, um, things that might be tough, really looking mm -hmm. into it. And then, trying to take either one, you know, one day a month or an appointment a month or something like that, where you're attending mm. again, like I, right. I really tried to, and, and then just kind of feed off of each other. Mm. Um, it, it also makes them feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It reminds you that they're taking leaps and bounds and steps in the right direction. Um, it gives you the ability to chat with them after the after the appointment, um, whatever that looks like. I know some people are virtual, but we're all belly to belly. So, um, you know, in our situation, having those conversations, diagnosing close deals um, and coming up with different ways to facilitate those mm -hmm. deals hand in hand with them is huge for, yeah. for us. And, and what it does is you do that once or twice over a deal that's close. And then next thing you know, they have the confidence to be able to do that same thing when they're out at that transaction. And that's not even really a training. That's more of just working with them on a transaction so they can learn some of that tribal knowledge. Because some of it's just the communication or overcoming an objection that they hadn't heard before. Right. And being able to provide a different option and different understanding of what they thought they heard in the conversation. Um, so 
you know, that's, that's really what I do with yeah. my, my sales guys. And it's, you know, I, I, my acquisitions agents do a really good job in the field. Yeah. I love that because I, I don't hear a lot of that. I, you know, we meet with a lot of investors and a lot of them do, do the same things, right? Listen to phone calls, that kind of thing. Um, but actually riding along with them, I can totally see how that builds their confidence um, out there. So cool. Yeah. And, like and it also, it, it also, you know, you're sitting side by side with them for the mm-hmm. day. So you get to talk about whatever. And um, sometimes as uh, owner of a company that, separation as your company grows becomes greater and greater and you know he's been with me for three years since there was you know only four people in our company so you know now there's a significantly different amount of people and that i have a coo and different individuals that have filled that kind of gap in between you know our day-to-day conversations so uh, us being able to you know sit down and have conversations not just about acquisitions but about life i think closes that gap a little bit as well and and makes it um you know more focused on on the person and how we're getting better together and and also brings them back to the mindset of the business because we have conversations about what the business is doing and uh where we need to get to and and some of the strategic planning that we have over the next two three to five years Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's awesome awesome. let's switch gears a little bit uh and uh, see if you have the crystal ball. So where, where do you, uh, in your opinion, and, and uh, we got, before we jumped on the, the podcast, we were talking about your market and you're in a little bit rural areas than, than maybe the major mm-hmm. cities. But uh, so it's, it's a good perspective because, you know, a lot of the people we have on shows are usually in major cities. Right. So, um, and I love that sometimes the rural areas do really, yeah. you know, aren't as affected as some of the bigger cities. So just what do you, where do you see the market going um the rest of this year and into next year and then kind of are you uh, you and your company are you guys making any changes you know with the recession or you know the Mm -hmm. rising interest rates all that kind of stuff what what are you guys doing anything differently um you know i like i had said earlier um in in our area we we are we do have a little bit of a bubble um and we're kind of protected based on some of the housing prices. Don't get me wrong. Um, we have some, some very nice areas and, and the interest rates and, and things do affect them. Now, honestly, I'd, I'd say there's very few real estate investment guys around here that are flipping, you know, 450 plus homes. Mm-hmm. It's just a limited amount and, and the areas that they're in. Uh, I do believe interest rates are going to come back down talking to some different you know, lenders and different things I like hear near the end of the year. Uh, I think th- those are going to come back, but we're already starting to see on our side, you know, some of these forbearance issues coming, come into fruition. Um, we are starting to see some individuals that have bought at the peak of the market, uh, looking at, at different mm. life situations where, you know, they were writing contracts for, you know, Forty, fifty thousand dollars over appraised value with appraisal, you know, appraisal contingencies pooled. Mm. So, um, and looking for ways out. So, I, you know, I think there is going to be a good amount of REO um, available on the market coming up here. Um, as these, I think a lot of people, a lot of banks were scared to call this stuff after for a while, and then um, they're getting to a point where we're starting to see more and more of that. Um, I, in our area, 
we have continued to sell. We still have limited stuff on the market right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's about 300 and some properties in, in York County that are available and listed. Um, I do believe that things that are sitting right now, uh, we're targeting those anything over 90 days to, to look at as an investor because uh, a lot of them just would have been moving. They're either priced too high, have something that's wrong, or you know, we're checking them out. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're starting to play with the MLS and auction a little bit more than uh, we were beforehand. We were really focused direct to seller, but I think there's going to be a lot more available uh, for us to make money on that's going to be on the market and have some more access to some some more MLS and REO stuff. I literally sat down with my training acquisitions agent yesterday and was like, hey, let's call some of these REO guys yesterday. Mm. Um, and we're just focused on building some relationships. And, and literally everyone we talked to was telling us, you know, it's not, it, not going to be like it was uh, in 2008, but, you know, some of, some of these guys – we're like, get ready because I'm getting more and more. Um, it's coming across my desk all, all the time. So more and more listings are coming out in that direction. And, you know, I think that if we can stay consistent um, and focus on still what we do best, being direct to seller, but turning in some of these MLS REO stuff uh, to some profitable renovations, it, it could be um, a really good time to buy renovations and flips mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because our because our average price point is much lower if not it could be a really good buy if your price point and averages are hot medians are higher you know it could be a, a really really good time to be taking on some rentals and being able to purchase them at a, a lower lower rate yeah. yeah. Consistency. And, and also you said it earlier, staying in your lane, right? Like how, how do you not, because I mean, us as entrepreneurs, we see the shiny object syndrome, right? You, you find a good deal somewhere. You're like, Oh man, I'm going to go chase that. Right. So how do you stay focused on what's important? A hundred percent. Like I just had a mobile home park come across yesterday and um, I, I was like, man, this looks like it would be amazing. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was sitting there and I was like, man, I, I would need an operator for this. I would need you like, there's, yeah. it's something. So for me, there's opportunity there, but right now I'm, I'm kind of just focused on making sure that we can navigate and pivot in this market, right. making sure that the transactions that we're doing are still promoting us to be able to grow um, and, and continue and not, and stay consistent across the board instead of, what a lot of us do is ride this roller coaster of ups and downs mm -hmm. and, you know, not pivot when we need to pivot. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, you, uh, you have two amazing, uh, children. So how, uh, and you got into this for more time and spend time with them. So how do you, as an entrepreneur, like manage balancing, you know, the whole work life mm -hmm. family, uh, it's, it's still a struggle as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and, and uh, 100%. yeah, but, uh, Sometimes as an employee, Great. it'd be better because you can just show up and then you leave and you don't have to worry about anything. As an entrepreneur, you're like, it yeah. goes home with you. But uh, right. yeah, how do you manage all that? Uh, great people. Yeah. If I if I had a, a real easy, simple answer, it would yeah. be uh, really surrounding myself with some great people who um, are okay with being held accountable because mm -hmm. uh, we've set we've set ourselves up with you know those types of KPIs and accountability. 
Um, I can literally operate my business from my cell phone if I really needed to. Um, I, I've set it up that I can have a pretty much a 30,000 foot view of what's going on on a daily basis from, you know, lead generation to transaction coordinating. And um, it's really given me a, a great capa- capability to manage, lead, and connect with the individuals within my business that I need to when I can see holes in our in our process and system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a, a, a really good COO who understands you know the processes and systems and really dials in on numbers and ROI and those types of things and is accountable for those as well. So right. um, you know I can work directly with him and then you know he's really good at making sure he's working directly with the the heads of those departments and making sure that we're doing what we need to do. Mm-hmm. So it, it's you, you know, I, I, I think there's still a great part of our car, our culture mm-hmm. uh, that involves, you know, me being involved with our management meeting and, and some different meetings throughout the week that um, I, if I just stopped being there would probably cause, I don't know, just some, it would change the culture of how we run. Um, but at the same time, I do believe um, the people that are empowered to do their position feel like I have full confidence in them to perform at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, that we're, we're struggling in a, in a scenario, I mm-hmm. think they feel like it's, it's okay to come and talk to me or come and talk to Rick um, to make sure that we're figuring that out before, you know, we hit the fire and then I'm in here, you know, trying to put out <laughs> fire and, and, and on a little bit of a different mode. So, um, you know, great people. It, yeah. and it, it, it's really bought back my, a lot of my time. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Eric, uh, one question we always ask is if you could start out, you know, early on in your early twenties, what advice would you give yourself? Um, you know, I what, buy more rentals, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, hold more stuff. Uh, that this real estate investment of, you know, wholesale innovations and renovations is, is a little bit of a hamster wheel. Um, you need to be able, you're, you're chasing your next deal on a, a pretty consistent basis. Um, and being able to build long-term wealth is is really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, three things I would say is, no matter what you do in life is you, you got to work your nuts off. <laughs> um, you know, and, and like, there's, there's nothing. If you want to be an entrepreneur, understand that you got to give up quite a few years of your mm-hmm. life yep. um, to be able to get to the time where you can buy your time back. Mm-hmm. Um, be honest and trustworthy. Like if, if you, if people trust you, um, it, understand that if you want to be an entrepreneur and you're going to focus on, you know, a business and want to grow other businesses out of it, that you, people need to be, people need to have trust in, in yeah. what you're doing and how you do it. And if, if they don't, it'll be a short-term entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm, this is a career, not like, this is a long-term career that's going to feed my family and generations after me. So if, if that's the goal, then, it can't be short term. Right. You can't you can't chase a dollar um, in the in the short term to lose millions in the long term. Right. Well, yeah. being an entrepreneur is definitely not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. right? yeah. 
you know, what's your, uh, we, one question we also always ask is what's your next, um, what are you looking to accomplish maybe in the next five to 10 years? Um, you know, I, I really want to put myself in a position that, uh, we have some, some different areas that we've looked at to be able to grow the business and, and get better at uh, possible virtual sales or mm-hmm. set up some, you know, smaller satellite offices in different areas. Uh, I, to the day that I, I, we argue about this at, at my mastermind all the time. I believe I can buy houses ten to twenty five thousand dollars cheaper than anybody can on the phone if I'm sitting with somebody in their kitchen. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it might not be the case. It's just where my mindset is. So uh, either remove myself from that mindset and grow on the virtual side. Um, or put up some satellite offices in different areas. Um, I've, I've been, you know, doing some sales training and some different things like that, but have some other different uh, business opportunities that I'd like to, to venture into mm. once this thing is completely and utterly running smoothly mm-hmm. in my, you know, at least close to it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. so that we can, I can, I can take a step back and, and really focus on some stuff. Uh, we have REI Business Growth Solutions, which is, you know, me and my COO, he's doing a lot of the operations mm-hmm. training and I'm doing a lot of the sales training stuff. So oh, cool. uh, we, we, we've helped with that with a few of the guys and um, it's, it's been, it's been fun. So yeah. just some different, different ways to grow, but, you know, just want to keep doing this and making sure that my employees are happy and healthy. Yeah, love that. Great. yeah. Love that. and I agree with you. I still, I still believe we're uh, the philosophy of in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. and yeah. part of it, I lo- love yeah. dealing with people. I love like face to face interaction. Yeah. So it, it could be a mindset thing, but I'm I'm with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, how can uh, people get a hold of you and uh, if they're interested in in uh, maybe the training that you guys offer and that stuff? But uh, how can how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can uh, reach out to us on either honesthomesolutions.com, uh, but easier way would to find me on Instagram um, or Facebook, Eric J. Latchall on Facebook and Eric Latchall on Instagram. Uh, you can always reach out to me via email, which is eric at honesthomesolutions.com. Or I will even drop my my cell phone on here if you want to shoot me a text. Um, it's 717-779-8754. Um, love to chat. I talk about real estate all the time and um, always willing to share ideas or, or talk to you about possible deals that are coming. Awesome. Well, it's been amazing to have you on the show, Eric, and you provided so much valuable information um, and tips for our listeners. So thank you for doing that. Um, All the information will be on the show notes as well, so uh, they'll be able to get in contact with you. And any last-minute things? No, no. We appreciate you being here. Anything we can do for you, please let us know. But uh, uh, it was, uh, yeah, an awesome uh, spending time with you. And uh, hopefully I'll get to, I don't know, will you be in Dallas in a couple weeks? Uh, I actually will not be in Dallas. Uh, I'm taking my kids to Yellowstone. Nice. So uh, we're going to see the – hibernation of the bears coming out we were supposed to go in with a bunch of the guys from investor fuel in in january but um both my my youngest son is a is a stud wrestler so i couldn't really miss uh one of the tournaments that was going on there and so we had to change it till now so they're excited they get out of school for a little bit get to miss pssa's so they're, (laughs) they're 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 hyped so 
Uh, I, I truly appreciate you guys having me on the show. It was a, a pleasure chatting with you. And I wish you all the best of luck. Love Thank it. You. As you see, Eric works hard and he plays hard. So, <laughs> yes, <you know>. indeed. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. And make sure you share this episode with your friends. See ya. Thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to Inside the Wolf's Den, an entrepreneurial journey with Sean and Joni Wolfswinkle. Tons of entrepreneurial podcasts are out there talking. Cog, cog, cogging. But Joni and Sean are living it every single day. Their portfolio now includes many franchises and medium-sized businesses. We talk about the trials and motivators of successfully running a business. Join us again soon for another podcast. But until then, reach out on the website at InsideTheWolfsDen.com, on Facebook at InsideTheWolfsDen, on Instagram at InsideTheWolfsDen. We'll see you again soon. This is Inside the Wolf's Den. We'll see you next time.